You're listening to Monocle's House View, first broadcast on the 21st of January 2020 on Monocle 24. This is Monocle's House View coming up on the programme from Midori House in London and our bureau in Zurich. We're taking a closer look today at Davos. Monocle's editor Andrew Tuck will join us for more on what we're watching as the world's leaders descend on the Swiss mountains. And later in the show, our special news panel in Zurich will discuss what Davos means to Switzerland and what else is making news there today. Plus, how to bring a bit of joy to the World Economic Forum. Where the 2005 Forum had a lone breakfast event to discuss gender, this year equality is a key focus, along with climate, sustainability and polarisation. I'm Andrew Muller. Monocle's House View starts now. Welcome to the show. The 2020 iteration of the World Economic Forum opens today in Davos. Nearly 3,000 representatives from roughly 120 countries will be attending, including, if we've done our maths right, 53 heads of state and or heads of government. Monocle 24 will be covering the event right through the week. Uh, first of all, for more on why Davos does matter to us, I'm joined from our Zurich Bureau by Monocle's editor, Andrew Tuck. Andrew, as I said in the intro there, we will be taking a close look at the World Economic Forum all this week. Uh, but to, to launch that coverage, why is Davos important to us? Well, it's interesting. Well, it's interesting. Well, it's interesting. Uh, Monocle 24, we're trying to we're trying to encourage kind of debate, kind of debate isn't that isn't always, always about, about shouting about. and Twitter. And of course, there's a lot of Twitter that goes on up at Davos. But the, the really fascinating thing is here you have a very small town away from the action where leaders are, are forced to come and be with each other, whether they're in business or in politics, and debate and conversations and interesting things happen. And we know in the past many people are sceptical about the role of Davos, but here's an event that has famously brought together partly Mandela and F.W. de Klerk, that brought together the leaders, uh, Shimon Peres and Yasser Arafat, it's, it's got a record of doing some good things, and especially during the Eurozone crisis, people came together. We're aware that there is another crisis unfolding. It's a, an ecological crisis. It's a, it's a crisis of climate change. And I think lots of people want that conversation to get started and get motivated. Now, Monocle's fascinated by all of these debates, and that's why we're here, and that's why we're covering the event, because we think... It's actually, for all of the, the frictions around the edges of the event, the important things can happen when you sit down face to face and when you perhaps put your phone down for a few minutes. Uh, Andrew, the harumphing around whether Davos is still relevant has become something of a Davos tradition in itself. Uh, obviously, as we've been discussing, we here at Monocle think it's important. Um, what do you think is different about Davos when measured against other global confabs? Well, one, it's you know it, it always picks a theme, and you know the environment is central this year. But it's actually a very broad spectrum of things that get debated: the the changing nature of work, uh, gender politics. All things get discussed here, so it brings in lots of different players, which I think is vital. And also that they leave the door slightly ajar. So you heard that you know, Greta Thunberg is coming here, but the Occupy Wall Street movement has one of its founders coming here to 
have conversations with people in business about ways of working together. So the interesting thing about Davos is they've always been open to having critics of the event actually come through the the ring of steel and be part of the conversation if they're willing to kind of listen and debate and engage. And actually, it's also good that people come and don't like it. You know, there, there are um, environmental press protesters heading up to Davos today who are going to holler and shout. And it's good that people feel that they're being judged a bit, that they're on the spot. You know, what are you going to do? And it's also just interesting hearing, again, that debate about Greta Thunberg. Because I think what's interesting is for many business leaders and people who are CEOs and government ministers is they've got kids now who are 14, 15, 16, 17, who are pestering them about <laughs> this conversation and want them to do something. And that's why they're also in attendance uh, when she speaks and, and listening to what she has to say. Uh, we should, of course, uh, mention that the fourth edition of the latest run of Monocle's Winter Weekly newspaper has an, well, an extremely uh, evident Davos theme, including a feature of 50 ideas for Davos in which we asked that many people for questions they would like to put to the global leadership gathered at Davos. Um, what are you personally hoping uh, comes up at this edition of the World Economic Forum? Well, I think that people step away from their 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 positions and are, are willing to listen to other people. You know, in, in what Trump said this morning, and we'll see how that plays out, but he seems to have committed to this project of planting a trillion trees in a decade. Now, if that's correct, that's a, an important change and we should see how that unfolds. And while he didn't say, I want to do something about climate change, he was trying to bring in a bit of an environmental message because I, I imagine that plays reasonably well, even with his constituents. That, you know, They don't want to live in terrible places and they don't want to be struck by fires and hellfire and damnation from, from the heavens. So, if we can just get people to move away from their positions and stop the, the hollering at all points, then I think that is the most the most important thing. So interesting conversations about the environment, which aren't you know just finger wagging or shouting, I think would be uh, would be vital. Andrew Tuck, Monocle's editor, thank you for joining us. We'll be back in just a moment with more on Davos with our news panel. But first, here is Monocle's Daniel Bache with some of the other stories we're following today. Thank you, Andrew. A fourth person in China has died from a new virus which has spread across the country. More than 200 cases have now been reported, including in major cities like Beijing and Shanghai. The World Health Organization says it's considering declaring an international public health emergency. Thailand's constitutional court has found key figures in the opposition Future Forward Party not guilty of attempting to undermine the country's monarchy. The allegation could have seen the high-profile party banned. Future Forward says the charges were intended to suppress political dissent. And Denmark's government has unveiled its latest blueprint for an ambitious link between the Jutland Peninsula and the larger island of Zealand. This includes a surprise change, a railway line. The initial proposal consisted of two bridges to span the sea. For more on this, you can head to monocle.com minute and subscribe to our daily digest. Those are some of the headlines we're following. Now back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Daniel. This is Monocle's House View. I'm Andrew Muller. Time now to take a longer look at some Swiss stories on our news panel, which today comprises Florian Egli, Vice President of Forhaus, the Swiss foreign policy think tank, and Benno Zog, researcher at the Centre for Security Studies at ETH Zurich. Both of them join us from Monocle's Zurich Bureau. Uh, let's start with the reason why we're focusing on Switzerland, which is, of course, the World Economic Forum, kicking off today in Davos. Um, Florian... 
I'll ask you first, obviously it's taken very seriously by media around the world, but how excited does Swiss media get about it? Well, they're not getting excited about it anymore, but I think it's a massive deal for Switzerland as a country. And just one um, single illustration of that is that um, the Swiss president, Simonetta Samaruga, was able to meet um, with um, Ursula von der Leyen of the European um, Commission um, ahead of Davos at the WEF, a meeting um, that was really primarily around the relationship, that the very complicated, I should say, relationship between Switzerland and the European Union and the meeting that I guess would otherwise never have happened so easily. So it it's kind of, I see it that way that the WEF is providing a forum and a framework in which you can do all sorts of different things, um, some of which completely unexpected. And, and Switzerland, I think, as a country and as an economy, I think benefits massively from from having this event in Davos. Uh, Benno, I'll ask you a, a similar question then, and I guess following on from what Florian was saying about uh, President Somaruga speaking and meeting people at Davos, and she spoke earlier today uh, rather pointedly against populism. Uh, I suspect there may have been something uh, of a message there for President Donald Trump, among others. Uh, is it seen within Switzerland and by Swiss politicians as an important domestic political stage. Do Swiss politicians want to look like they're cutting a dash at Davos? I think not really, at least for our domestic debates, it's not that important because Davos is mostly about foreign policy, but there certainly it's nice to have the opportunity to be in these private conversations as well as in public fora with world leaders, and that certainly has certain influence on the domestic context as well because it one appears as a statesman, as a stateswoman, if one can really use this format and kind of show what Switzerland can do and should do and who it's talking about. ...that all our seven... ...our government are present in Davos with a huge agenda of meeting all kinds of leaders and civil society and so on. Um, but I think, at least if you follow the, the media over the past years as well, one is kind of used to this format. It's always kind of similar. We all know that there's a lot being talked about behind closed doors, particularly business deals um, are, are discussed there. And these public panels that very often are about sustainability like this year, about uh, stopping climate change and so on, are part of it. But just as, or maybe even more important, are the deals and conversations that we don't even fully learn about, or maybe even only years later, unfortunately. Well, I, I want to ask each of you in turn, and I'll start with you, Florian, what you're most interested in about Davos this year, whether that's something you're looking forward to seeing discussed or something which you would like to see discussed. I mean, to be honest, what I think is a great initiative of the World Economic Forum is to invite young people um, up to the center stage. And I think that's what they've been trying to do for quite a while. They have this formats where younger people get involved in these conversations. Um, one of the sort of bottom of the pyramid, I would say, is, is the global shapers that are um, sort of around the world and 50 a year are invited to Davos. Um, I'm one of them uh, in Zurich as well. And and this year, even more prominently, so we have quite a lot of panels where, um, where young people, and not just, I'm saying just in parentheses here, Greta Thunberg, are allowed to speak and are allowed to interact and I think um, if the World Economic Forum wants to remain an important um, point to meet and wants to remain credible it has to address issues of the new generation and the second thing I would wish 
um, that the forum addressed more is inequality. I think we're seeing huge um, inequalities around the world and, and, and they're at the root cause of, of many, many things. And it's a question that is always kind of um, transversely treated at the WEF, but never really credibly addressed because kind of inherent at the format is, you know, it's these very powerful, very rich people meeting in a secluded mountain space. So it's kind of this message that it conveys is, is, is quite sort of exclusive and, 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 and doesn't really um, give the WEF a credible point to address inequality. Perhaps it's similar with sustainability, but at least there I see a real effort and I see that they actually try and maybe um, we get a chance to talk about some of the contents in that regard later on. And Benno, I'll, I'll put the same question to you. What do you think it's most important that Davos addresses this year? To be fair, I was actually hoping that in, in times of international crisis, Davos can actually contribute to solving some of them. But unfortunately, neither is Vladimir Putin attending nor a uh, high-level Iranian delegation. So we cannot really expect anything there. So do you think, and that's following up on what Florian says about including topics that matter to young people as well as to actually everyone, particularly this sustainability issue that Swiss President Samaruga also range, raised. Um, so it's about, is there any follow-up to all these talks about saving the climate, saving the planet, and uh, the World Economic Forum contributing to that? Um, WEF founder Schwab talked about planting one trillion trees. Do we see anything about that? Because I think just to compensate for all the business jet flights to Davos, one has to plant millions of trees already just as compensation. So do really wonder whether there's anything substantial coming out of there. And to be fair, business leaders who have a huge opportunity to contribute to that are there. They are listening. They are listening to Greta and to others as well. But climate change has been their way before Greta. So we see if anything comes out of that. But this is probably tricky to to get anything tangible there because it's mostly about debates and and people talking to each other uh, florian just quickly before we move off davos I, I did want to pick up on something you said evoking uh, davos's image as this sort of uh, secretive lofty mountain hideaway in which the world's uh, political and financial elites gather to make great decisions in secret on the 50th anniversary of Davos especially, which is what we're observing this year, it, does it feel like it's been something that's been good for Switzerland's national brand? I think it's been, it's been overall great for Switzerland's national brand. But I think if the WEF is, you know, to be that kind of institution in the future that it is now, it kind of has to also transition to perhaps a little bit of a different format. And, and I mean, you have to, I mean, you, you're mentioning the, the, the 50th anniversary, you know, um, Klaus Schwab um, himself has sort of led through all of these 50 years. And I think it will be incredibly interesting and important to see kind of who is coming after him and how is the WEF going to look into the future? And is it actually going to be able to, you know, remain exclusive because that's kind of one of the, the selling points but at the same time you know very strategically opening up in a credible way and addressing issues that we as probably a global um, society have to address and we have to address those in the next few decades so that the, the time is ticking and I think 
if the web wants to remain relevant, they have to find really smart ways of opening these doors and of, of, of credibly addressing these issues by involving the people that are affected. Okay, well, let's move on now and take a look at the current fortunes of the Swiss franc, which has, of course, become proverbial as a safe harbour in times of economic inclemency. It might not, therefore, be altogether reassuring that the franc is on something of a charge, tracking a recent spike in gold, which suggests that the franc has acquired something of the same totemic luster. It is generally held to be good news if a country's currency is strong, though there are those who think otherwise, and not just Davos attendees fretting about the price of fondue. Um, Benno, first of all, the Swiss National Bank is now taking steps to try and weaken the franc, which might seem to some a counterintuitive measure. Why are they doing that? Doing that. Well, at first glance, it does appear counter counterintuitive because obviously if I myself travel abroad with my Swiss francs to be converted in other currencies, I feel filthy rich all, all of a sudden <laughs> because indeed um, our currency has appreciated, well, filthy rich in comparison, of course. Um, but the thing is obviously to a small economy that is very open to international trade and depends on exports, having a strong currency makes one's product produced within the country expensive um, to others buying it. Hence, the Swiss National Bank has actually for quite a while been intervening in the currency markets to some extent, um, trying to weaken the Swiss franc. And now the US federal the US Treasury has accused Switzerland of being a currency manipulator, which is a brand they've used for the Chinese in particular, who've also boosted their, their export capacity with a somewhat weak currency. Um, so this is quite significant and one wonders how the Swiss National Bank can react to that accusation, whether they somewhat weaken their weakening of the Swiss francs, Frank. Um, and I'm sure there's loads of people speculating that there may be a policy change and they try to make a fortune out of that as well. Well, of course, uh, Florian, fortunes were made and lost previously uh, when the Swiss National, the Swiss National Bank rather took steps uh, to cap uh, the, the, the value of the franc measured against the euro in particular, which it did between 2011 and 2015. Um, is there any talk of reintroducing that? Would they take a measure that drastic? Because, of course, when they abandoned that cap in 2015, the franc immediately leapt by an extraordinary 30%. I mean, I think central banking is all about credibility. And the more credible central banking is, the less of a win or loss there is to make in speculation. So the, the famously rich George Soros that made his fortune, by the way, not speculating on the Swiss franc, but on the British pound. Um, and, you know, these, these kinds of scenarios are less likely if central banking is, is credible and predictable. Um, Switzerland has kind of this image of being very credible, very predictable. I think, therefore, it is, it is extremely unlikely that they're going to reintroduce a cap. I mean, the the, the kind of intuition why they they left, um, you know, capping the Swiss franc to the euro, why they abandoned this regime, was they wanted to have a bit more flexibility in terms of, of their open markets operations um, and not sort of purely um, follow the, um, the open market operations of the European Central Bank in Frankfurt by definition because there is a fixed exchange rate. Um, at least there is, you know, I mean, there is not a fixed, but there is a cap. So I think that's we're not going to see this again. I also um, think that 
you know, to some extent, the Swiss export industry has fared reasonably well or surprisingly well. I mean, we've seen quite massive efficiency gains in some industries that compensated um, for these exchange rate um, losses and difficulties. We've seen some shifts, you know, to other currencies, you know, exports not going predominantly to the European Union, but sort of starting to build up other markets as well. Um, so I don't perceive that there is an absolute sort of a massive pressure point arriving at the moment and I I rather see the Swiss National Bank going into the, the the coming weeks and months you know carrying on business as usual and not changing not changing much of this of the um, present regime okay well finally on today's Switzerland special news panel we'll take a look at another characteristically Swiss story which is one of the referendums of which Switzerland remains obstinately fond on February 9th Swiss voters will be asked to decide whether or not to extend current anti-racism legislation to include homophobia Swiss law as it presently stands does not offer protection against expressions of hatred towards gay people um Benno first of all is it weird that Swiss federal law hasn't got around to this before now to be fair when it comes to the treatment of, of homosexuals and and what kind of rights they have um, including anti-discrimination laws for example there has been a bit of a lag indeed and one wonders what what the reasons for that are whether our direct democratic system is a bit slow because the thing is, there's usually a majority um, on all kinds of issues related to that. There is, for example, no proper gay marriage. There's only an equivalent to actual marriage for for same-sex couples, um, which is also a bit of a lag when, when we compare it to many places in Europe. This referendum now is a bit of an odd one. You, you hinted at it because it's been decided in Parliament with a huge majority that the anti-racism law should be um, should include now uh, anti-homophobia um, issues. But there's been a referendum because with only 50,000 signatures of registered voters, you can force the public to vote on that. Um, I'm quite confident that this referendum will fail, so the law will indeed be passed. Uh, Florian, is there any opposition to that or any noticeable opposition to it? And what case are they trying to make? Honestly, I don't really understand the case that they're trying to make, and I quite, quite honestly feel feel a bit embarrassed uh, by by this by this whole debate. I mean, I don't see why there is any point to make. You know, why discrimination based on sexual orientation should be legal? I mean, I don't see a sing I don't see a single argument um, that, that would speak in favor of this. And and you know, to add on top of this, the law is quite clear. You know, discrimination has to be public. It has to be intentional. It has to interfere with the dignity of this person so all this you know opposition saying oh you know our conversations around the kitchen table will not be free anymore because now the lawmakers are interfering with free speech you know that's all really quite ridiculous and and i also think that that you know the vast vast majority of the swiss population is seeing it just as normal um, as anything else um, if, if there are gay couples and and you know this is really kind of a fringe debate that now sort of artificially has moved into into to an actual referendum, but but uh, yeah, uh, it's quite an embarrassing story after all, I think. <laughs> uh, Benno, what Florian was saying there doesn't surprise me all that much because we, we often, when similar conversations are had in other countries, hear people arguing very often in bad faith uh, 
on behalf of what they think of as as freedom of speech. Uh, is, is Switzerland showing signs of being beset by the same inane culture wars uh, as the rest of the democratic world? Uh, or, or is the system of direct democracy still actually uh, acting as an insulation against that? It's a really interesting question that you raise because I do see certain parallels with other debates that have for example, taking place in the United States. If we look at the Me Too movement, for example, which was against abuse, it was against the abuse of power. Um, It has been turned to some extent in certain circles into a free speech issue, as in we're not allowed to say all kinds of things anymore. This is censorship and so on. And, And they have managed to some extent to turn the debate. And here we see somewhat similar arguments. Florian hinted at it. What can we still say in the pub at my table? Can I still say that? Um, gay people are sick. Uh, why am I not allowed to say that? And I think there's a deliberate attempt to kind of make this debate a bit more diffuse, a bit more vague and turn it into something like, we're not really sure what we can say anymore. But this is really misleading because the, because the law, as it is proposed, is quite clear on that. And I think one, and that's the good thing about direct democracy, once this referendum is decided on and it will fail and the law will pass, most likely then the debate is kind of over because the people have spoken. That's the advantage. Even though the system is a bit slow, it opens room for these kind of people to advocate for these distorted messages. But once the people have spoken, the debate, at least for another few years, is 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 dead. And to be honest, a few years from now, we will look back on this vote and say exactly what Florian has stated. That this was kind of ridiculous, kind of embarrassing. And it's due to the system that it, this vote even takes place, but it should not have for, for, for actually good reasons. Florian Egley and Benno Zog, thank you both for joining us. In a moment, more about how a bit of joy and optimism are entering the conversations surrounding Davos. You're listening to Monocle's House View. Do stay tuned. This is Monocle's House View. I'm Andrew Muller. Finally, today we turn again to Davos with the latest opinion from Monocle's editorial floor. The World Economic Forum gets underway in earnest today. But last night there was a concert, an international call for unity and joy, led by the noted conductor Marin Alsop. The concert brought together a mix of musicians from veterans to youth orchestras and tenors to sopranos and from countries including Brazil, Japan and South Africa for a rendition of Beethoven's Ode to Joy. Alsop, who is conducting a special series of concerts across six continents this year in honour of Beethoven's 250th anniversary, says her goal is to show that unity and tolerance are not lost concepts in 2020. That might sound like idealistic claptrap. The world seems far from unified in 2020, particularly with Donald Trump on his way to Davos again this year. But Alsop had some rather nuanced views of the Davos Forum when we spoke to her for our special winter weekly issue. 
Davos might be an exponential gathering of wealth, she admits, but it's also a reflection of what's happening in the world, and as such is adaptable. Take diversity. When Alsop was first invited back in 2005, she found herself surprisingly inspired by the focus on philanthropy and came away energized, despite the fact that women were barely represented. Good thing then that Davos has changed with it. Where the 2005 Forum had a lone breakfast event to discuss gender, this year equality is a key focus along with climate, sustainability and polarization. Yes, diversity remains a struggle, says Alsop, but an increased openness should be welcomed. Better to work with the world's richest to tackle the world's biggest problems than to ignore the thorny issues. And that is all for today's show. Monocle's House View was produced by Daniel Bache. Our studio managers were Steph Chungu and Christy Evans. Coming up at 2000, a brand new edition of Monocle on Design with Josh Fennett. And more coverage from Davos tomorrow on The Globalist, 8am in Switzerland, 7am here in London. Monocle's House View returns at the same time tomorrow, 1800 London. I'm Andrew Muller. Thanks for listening. <laughs>